this is legit conversations that I'm having with people of color in the movement. Yeah. It's like, why can't we, why are we not represented? Why are we not at the table? Why are we not, you know, and it's kind of like on us to create our or own organizations and we can create our own boards and, yeah. and do it like that. But when we try to infiltrate what's already uh, the existing um, organizations or movements or agencies, it's kind of like we're looked at like, oh, okay, I value, I, I want to hear from you. Hey, welcome to the Elijah Rising podcast, where we discuss the myths, misconceptions, and most asked questions about sex trafficking. I'm Adam, and today I am joined by Kathy McGibbon Givens, who is a wife, a mother, an author, a playwright, uh, who has overcome the dark world of sex trafficking. And let me also just add to that intro that she is a uh, kind of a legend around Houston. She is a very highly respected voice uh, in this city and I imagine in many other cities as well because of her work. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today, Kathy. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited that you're here as well. Um, the recent killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery have thrust systemic racism inequality and oppression into the national spotlight once again. As a justice-oriented or, justice organization who serves women of color, we recognize our need to have a conversation about the intersection between sex trafficking, prostitution, and, and racism. And so today on the podcast, we're asking the question, is sex trafficking, is prostitution a racial justice issue? And so, Kathy, you um, are an expert in the field of anti-trafficking work. You have been on the news. Um, you have been in leadership in multiple nonprofits. You are an artist. You are a mentor. You are an advocate. You are a champion. Um, and so in all of that experience, first thing I want to ask you is, do you think people have attempted to fight trafficking while ignoring the issue of racism? Um, I have to be honest, and um, as someone that is actually actively in the fight as well, yeah. um, that's something that has burdened me for quite some time, yeah. because uh, people of color are underrepresented in this movement. Mm. Um, unfortunately, you know, I hate to say that, we've made tremendous strides in the anti-trafficking movement. We're doing amazing things, and we're yeah. going in the right direction, but um, too often, people of color, women of color, are are not represented or or underrepresented mm. um and we're not acknowledging race racism as a as a root cause you know what i mean yeah. and so as being in the movement we know that um trafficking is deeply rooted in racism yeah and we can't fight a movement we can't fight uh, or combat uh that crime without talking about the root cause, one of the root causes, right. right? And so we're only fighting, we've only been fighting a portion, just a small part of trafficking. We're, sure. not, we're not taking a holistic approach. Um, but I do think that it's something that needs to be discussed. That's why I'm so um, honored to be sitting here with you today because yeah. I mean, it, we're, we're behind. <laughs> this, mm. These discussions should have been happening long before um, the recent killings, the recent murders. Right. But, you know, you know I, I want to honor... George Floyd and um, and his life. Yeah. Because of his life, you know. Yeah. We are able to have these conversations. We are now having these conversations. Yeah, and it, it's yeah. So the connection to George Floyd, right? Like, I mean, he wasn't a trafficking victim, mm -hmm. um, but 
it is like, you know, one thing that we say, and it's a quote that we use often, I'm sure you've heard it used before, and you may have used it yourself, like trafficking is the exploitation of vulnerability. And so it is those vulnerabilities that create a system and create an atmosphere that where trafficking can thrive. And so, I mean, would you say, I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to pose it to you. I mean, would you say racism is one of the I mean, largest contributing vulnerabilities that leads to this. It is. And I'm going to quote a friend. I was talking to her yesterday and it hit me like in my, it pierced my heart when Mm. she said it, but she was like, if not for the foundation laid by systemic racism, I don't know that I would have been exploited. Wow. And I was like, it hit me. It hit me because I, I, I think about my own experience in my own life. And, and I, you know, though, you know, that, it was evil what happened to me. It wasn't right. I'm not, I'm not justifying um, traffickers in any way, sure, their sure. actions in any way. But if we pause for a moment and think about the oppression um, and, and the injustices that they've had to suffer through yeah. historically. Generationally. Generationally. Yeah. Would, would we be in this fight? Would there be a reason for Elijah Rising today? Mm. Would there be a reason for um, all of the other, you know, organizations today? Would we have to be fighting to the point where we're so behind if we would have addressed this long, long ago? And so um, that's something that we have to think about. It's, it's separate causes. Yes, George Floyd was not a trafficking individual, but it's definitely, yeah. it's definitely rooted. Yeah, it's so closely related to it. Yeah. And you know what? I just want to acknowledge the fact that you are so right to say that it shouldn't have taken this to create these conversations. These are the types of conversations we should have been having long, long ago. Um, And we do, we do, you know, I'm, I'm on staff here at Elijah Rising and we recognize as an organization, like those root causes are so, it is so important to recognize them and then address them in any way that you can. But, um, that's going to lead to a lot of major shifts, not just at the grassroots level, the work that, that we do and the work that you do in particular, but like in all sorts of different sectors and spheres of yeah, society. Absolutely. Um, I was wondering if you want to talk about the man act at all. Did you want to, did you want to mention that? Yeah. So, um, historically, you know, when we talk about racism and human trafficking, yeah. we, we have to acknowledge the man act, which originated originally was was named um the white slave traffic act Mm. so if you think about that name the notion alone in that name has a racial undertone right it's Mm. well not undertone it's it's racialized literally (laughs) it's basically saying that the victims identified as human trafficking were white and Mm. so who were you know when the movement started it was an anti-trafficking movement um but who were the victims? Who were they? Who were they supporting? Who were they going mm. after? Who were they, who were they looking for yeah. and identifying as victims? It definitely wasn't brown and black girls, right? It was white girls, white women, which left the brown and black girls to fend for themselves. Um, historically, you know, during slavery, black women, black girls were considered Jezebels, and that was to justify wow. the brutality that they had to experience through rape, you know, by their, by their white owners. Yeah. Um, you know, instead of um, calling it what it is, you are raping and you are assaulting and you are terrorizing and torturing our black and brown women. Yeah. Instead, it was just like, oh no, you're, you're, you're just a Jezebel, <laughs> you know? Yeah. We have labels for them, which made it easier for society to say, 
to put them in categories. Well, dehumanize them. To dehumanize them and, and leave them behind, yeah. essentially. And so when we, we, we fast forward to 1900 when the Mann Act or when the White Slave Traffic Act was, um, was put into place, um, our brown and black girls didn't stand a chance. Hmm. They weren't... They weren't considered victimized. And that has a lot to do with the adultification of black women as well. And black boys, you know, um, for instance, you know, what happened with George Floyd, a lot of our black boys are because of adultification, they are looked at and viewed as older than older than they really are. So you have an 11 year old boy and he looks like he is, you know, historically, he looks like he's 19. And so that incites fear Mm. in, um, and, and law enforcement yeah. and other people. And so with our little, with our girls, we look at them as not as vulnerable human beings like we would the white girls, right? White girls need to be rescued. Um, we see uh, these ads and we see commercials and we see all these campaigns and, and you see the face of a white girl and it, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And it invokes something in somebody, in everyone, in all of society. They're like, we need to save this girl. Yeah. If you see a, a white girl missing on the news, we need to go find that girl. But if you see a black girl walking down the street, um, because she's already been, because of adultification, she's already been looked at as, oh, she's a tough girl. Yeah. She's, you know, she's, she's not, we don't look at them as victims. We don't look at mm. black and brown girls as victims. Um, Do you think that also creates the sense that, um, and I, I don't know, I, I'm, speaking on this in a in a bit of ignorance to be quite honest but sure. does that also create a sense that well maybe that black girl is choosing this whereas the white girl has been victimized by this does that dichotomy then kind of enter the conversation as well because of absolutely that? and it's it roots back into history as well you know like with the jezebel thing yeah. um black girls have were looked at as over sexualized they mm. that this is what they do you know yeah. um and and for some reason, it's crept its way. That same mentality has crept its way into this anti-trafficking movement. Yeah. Um, I know the hearts. I'm in the, I'm in the movement, so I know the right. hearts of the people involved. And a lot of it, I can say, is not intentional. Mm. But it has an intentional undertone. Because when you ignore the fact that this black girl, just because she has an attitude or she's, she, you think of her as tough skin. I've heard it before where um, the statement was made that... White girls are more vulnerable because black girls know how to handle themselves. Gosh. Is that true? When you put both girls in a room to be tortured by a trafficker, are you telling me that the black girl has more advantage of surviving that torture and comes out with, with less of uh, less trauma? That is absolutely false. Sure. So we have to look at it like that. We have to look at these women and these girls as, as equal. They are human beings and it's not a black versus, you know, it's not a black problem or a white problem. Human trafficking is an everyone problem. Absolutely. Yeah. And so yeah. the same resources in the same support that we extend to um, white girls and white women, black and brown girls deserve the exact same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's that's the definition of systemic racism, Mm -hmm. that it's this unconscious viewing of a person that maybe, I don't know, like maybe sometimes it is a conscious choice, like, oh, well, she's black, so she can probably handle herself. But uh, it feels like sometimes it's not. It's just like a cultural script that we're handed, or maybe even a religious script that we're handed down. And then it becomes this deeply ingrained and deeply rooted into not just our faith, not just Mm -hmm. our policy, not just our culture, but then it just becomes, it just 
becomes even the way that we advocate for justice. Yeah. That we say, well, this group and this group. And it also just makes me think like, wow, like, and what if that black girl is much younger? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's just a part of how we, you know, we develop differently. Um, yeah. I'm, I, I'm not as fortunate, but <laughs> most of our <laughs> most of our black girls and women develop just differently. You know, sure. you know, at, sure. at 11 years old, they look like they they're not 11 years old, mm. and so and so they're viewed as you know, yeah, objects. Yeah. And, so you um, you've worked with you personally know um, you have a relationship uh, with women who have been exploited, women who have been prostituted, um, both currently in the life and and have exited the life. Um, so I I wonder if you could just if we could drill down just a little bit deeper, like how do women in the life experience systemic racism? You know, I, I think of. Here in Houston, um, which is where we're located, for those of you who are listening, I think of, of Bissonette, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how do women that are walking the track on Bissonette experience systemic racism tonight at 11 p.m.? Yeah, so even in the life, and I'm just going to be very candid if I can Absolutely, be, please. Even in the life, um, women, uh, women of color have to fight. 10 times more, right? Mm. So and they have to try to work 10 times harder. They have to work harder than their counterparts to even make a quota. That's, in, that's just in the life. Um, when they are taken through the, the, the justice system or when they're arrested, mm. they do not get the same treatment. They do not get the same type of services. Again, going back to, oh, that's just a, you know, she's, she's tough. She's, she's probably choosing it yeah. um, versus seeing a, a woman out there or a girl out there that is uh, white. She's, yeah. she's a victim. Yeah. And because of that, um, traffickers adopt the same mentality. You got it. Like, go, go here. You know, you can handle 30 uh, clients a night. You can handle that. You're tough. You know what I mean? And so um, even in the life, they have to work. And, you know, for those who who think that that, you know, sex work is a choice, they can't honestly tell you that women of color, they can't honestly tell you that it's, um, that they, they leave satisfied, that mm. they, that this is something that they want to do because they're, they're more likely to be victimized right. and, um, and they have to work harder. And so, yeah. um, if you think about like the employment gap and the wage gap and, right. um, even our public schools, yeah, yeah. a lot of these girls, um, that it's not a choice. They don't want to be out there, but it's generational. Right. Yeah. And so you look at the public schools that, that in some of these neighborhoods and you compare them to the schools in other neighborhoods, who has a better chance of success? Yeah. It's not going to be the ones in the neighborhoods that have been, you know, that are in the process of gentrification. Right. Um, they have to go through these systems and, right. and they have to be, they have to have a good, good, solid family institution in right. order to survive the, their external, their external situation. But things like redlining, things like bank, banks not lending things like, uh, you know, you're paying less property taxes. So your schools are, worse and that's just in the life right and so when you go through a program and you get these services you go through a restorative care program you get these services and it's great i know from experience and from knowing people that have gone through programs it is more likely that the woman that is white or the girl that is white is going to be a hundred percent more successful 
than the woman or the girl that is black in a program. Because when you address the trauma and, and she, completes the, she completes the program successfully, you can almost guarantee that she's going to be able to get a job. You can almost guarantee that she's going to go back to her family and that may or may not be privileged. You can almost guarantee that she's going to go back and be accepted into society as, oh, just a girl. When you're black and when you're brown, you don't have that you don't have that option before you're exploited you're already facing racial barriers then you get exploited you add that trauma then you go to restorative care and then you leave the life and we expect them to thrive in communities where their the color of their skin is not even accepted so how can they on top of the trauma um go back and say okay well i'm going to be successful which is why it's hard. I've heard it said before that, you know, black girls don't want to leave the life or we don't see enough black girls. Well, when you think about it, they understand that this may not work for them. Hmm. They understand that, yeah, I can go to a program, but am I really going to be afforded the same privileges as my white counterparts? Absolutely not. Well, especially if like the, if the goal is to leave the program and to go back to their neighborhood, but that neighborhood is wrecked by all sorts of other injustices, economic injustice. Yeah. And yeah, I, that is, it's harder to get housing. It's harder to get, it's harder to get employment. It's harder to, for people to take you seriously. Yeah. Um, especially maybe if you have a case or, you know, especially if you have a case, yeah. we already, we, I don't even want to talk about the, <laughs> the, the industrial <laughs> complex of that, like that, that alone, you know, we're seeing high num- higher, higher numbers, um, of, of black and brown girls being, you know, criminalized, mm-hmm. you know, than our, than our counterparts. And it's not fair. It's just, it's unjust. Yeah. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I thank you so much. I, like this conversation is so important. I, I do, if I can insert my voice for just a second. Sure. Um, one of the things that I uh, have been really wrestling with and doing a lot of soul searching uh, on and, um, I don't know, maybe just coming to terms with uh, in in recent days is just, you know, the reality of this problem is that it's, there is a demand that drives sex trafficking. There is a demand that drives prostitution. And that demand looks like this. And um, for those of you who are listening or who have never seen my face, I'm a white man, uh, a white, a straight white man with a family. um, And demand is driven by privilege. Demand is driven by privilege, specifically and predominantly by upper middle class white men with families at home in another neighborhood somewhere. And, you know, and and people of color, those black girls on the street that look like they can handle themselves, they're paying the ultimate price for that. They're suffering for that. And and for me, like I've come to terms like that is why racism, it's one of the reasons why, but for me, it's one of the major reasons why I'm like, yeah, I I mean, prostitution is inherently racist because what drives it is white privilege and, and, and the money that have to have expendable income to go out there and spend that type of money, um, to capitalize on the vulnerability of another community. And so I just, take a second to speak to those who are listening to say like, this is, this is why it continues to exist. Um, because there is a privileged portion of our community that continues to exert its power and use its money to perpetuate the problem without end. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I just, I, I thank you for having an honest conversation with, with, with us about that. Um, 
Yeah. So let's, let's take a break. Um, let's take a break in the podcast. We're going to come back and we're going to continue our conversation with, uh, with Kathy. Hey everybody. I hope you are enjoying today's episode of the Elijah rising podcast. Right now I'm standing in the Elijah rising store that sells goods that empower survivors of sex trafficking. All the items in this shop, the purchases support the employment as well as the restoration of women that are in our program. So please come visit us at 11th and Studewood or online at shop.elijahrising.org. And today on your first purchase, we're going to offer you $10 off if you shop online using code podcast. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, again, I'm joined uh, by Kathy Gibbons. Um, so Kathy, I want to kind of go a little bit back to where we just left before the break. And I want to ask a question, um, you know, do women who exit the life and we talked about this a little bit, but I'm going to say a little bit more. Do women who exit the life and go into aftercare and restorative care programs, do they experience racism and, and both in the in the short-term aftercare and in long-term aftercare? Because there, there is kind of a difference there um, in, in some organizations. So is there is racism happening in those spaces? Unfortunately, it is. Um, and and like I said, again, I just want to be clear. Yeah. Intentional or unintentional, sure. which I think a lot of it is probably unintentional. And Absolutely. just um, that's why these conversations are important, because we're all learning. But when um, a black or brown girl goes into a program, short or long term, what I'm finding um, just from talking with survivors, um, mm -hmm. other survivors, other overcomers, is that if they go into a program and no one looks like them, they will, you'll never see the true person. So yeah. you'll never even know if the program was effective because if they see no one on the team, no one on the staff, no one in the board, no one that, that, you know, that is rallying around them and supporting them, though they feel the, you know, they, though they understand the hearts of those people around them, yeah. if they don't see anyone that looks like them, that also is a racial undertone and it speaks to historic, it can cause, you know, um, historic uh, trauma. Yeah. Historical trauma, because that's what they're used to. Oh, OK. It, and, and it's like it's almost like the white savior mentality. Yeah. Right. So it's like um, these people want to save me. They just don't want to know me. You know what I mean? And so um, that in itself in aftercare, short or long term, needs to be addressed in the anti-trafficking movement yeah. because we want to make sure that we're really healing the whole person. Right. Absolutely. We're really um, making sure that the whole person is restored and um that ha and has a chance and what that looks like is getting to know every single culture every single thing yeah. about yeah. that person that walks through your doors you need to know and have the difficult conversations yeah. why is your hair why is your hair so curly why is yeah. your hair so coily why do you talk like that have people want to have these conversations yeah. bring in volunteers mentors staff um board members that can relate to these individuals because i'm telling you that you're we're missing the mark if we don't do so yeah yeah, I mean, it almost puts up a barrier. It does, yeah. To, to the healing, yeah. which is the goal that everybody is there for. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's keep talking about that a little bit. You know, we both work in the nonprofit sector. You have tons of experience in the nonprofit sec sector, um, specifically around this issue of anti-trafficking um, work. And so, uh, do you think um, do you, do you think that there is a sufficient amount of respect for and listening to the voices of, uh, of black voices in the anti-trafficking movement and in the nonprofit space? We, um, we, I can say no, <laughs> let okay. me just be short. I can, yeah. I, no, there is not. Um, because we support, um, our movement supports, um, 
those of color. Mm -hmm. um, we understand that uh, black and brown girls are trafficked, um, severely disproportionate rate. Right. And, um, and we support that. We, we, we want to honor those people and we want to make sure that they get the services and get the help, however we think they should get the help um, that they need. However, we're willing to help them. We just don't want to bring them to the table. So we want to include them, um, but we don't th want them to lead. And that doesn't come from a place of like, I'm not saying that from a place of, um, you know, anger or upset or anything like that. This is legit conversations that I'm having with people of color in the movement. Yeah. It's like, why can't we, why are we not represented? Why are we not at the table? Why are we not, you know, and it's kind of like on us to create our or own organizations and we can create our own boards and, yeah. and do it like that. But when we try to infiltrate what's already uh, the existing um, organizations or movements or agencies, it's kind of like we're looked at like, oh, okay, I value, I, I want to hear from you. It's almost like survivors. Mm. Um, so if you talk to survivor voices, they'll tell you the same thing. Like, yeah, they want me to advise and they want me to, they ask my opinion after it's done. But they're not giving me a directorship. But they're not giving me a directorship and they're yeah. not bringing me um, at the center of this conversation. So mm -hmm. how can you rally around something or how can you support people that that that's not invited to the table, that don't have a seat at the table? Yeah. And so now we're forced to create our own tables. Mm. Um, but but that's that can be harmful because now we're creating a divide. Now it becomes... And I'm just going to, uh, you can cut this out if you want, but it's almost like the black church versus the white church, right? Yeah. It's like now yeah. we have seven Baptist churches in a row. And then on the other side of the tracks, we right. have all these white, big, you know, Presbyterian, whatever churches, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, how did that even happen? How did, the, how did we get there? Racism. Because we're racism. We're not talking, <laughs> you know, we're not yeah. talking to each other. We're not learning from each other. We're yeah. not integrated. Um, you know, I know from the black community, it. I can speak for myself in the black community. What I've observed um, is that, you know, people love the culture. The white culture loves our loves the culture, but they just don't want us to be a part of yeah. their culture. Yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, we'll use you when needed. We want your voice when needed. And it's the same way, it's the same um, feeling that survivors have, mm. you know, when they're called on to advise or called on to review a program. Yeah. And it's, it's like, okay, I'll review it, but... You know, I think so much of that maybe is fear-based. Yeah. That it's like, we want your culture, we want to hear your voice, but we're kind of afraid that you don't know what you're doing. You know, that you that if we give you too much power, we give you too much voice, then you might say something wrong, do something wrong, lead the wrong way, which makes me feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. And I might lose something. I mean, do, do you get that sense or... It, it, Am I making that up? It is. And from my own experience, I can tell you that the only reason that I've been, um, obviously God, number one, God's just opened up some doors for me that are yeah. incredible. And I think maybe paving the way to have conversations like this yeah. um, for those who may never be able to have conversations like this. But for myself personally, I've experienced um, the, only, the only way that I was able to get into some of the rooms that I was invited to or some of the tables, some of the seats at the table that I was invited to was because I was told that I was very articulate. Now, mm. when I first started sharing my story, when I, I remember the first time I shared my story, I stood up in front of a crowd and I felt... When you're a person of color, you can walk into a room and you can feel mm. <laughs> who's uncomfortable with you because of the color of your skin um, and because maybe I have big hair yeah, or whatever yeah. the case may be, right? I felt that tension walking into the room. But by the time I opened my mouth and said I was on my second sentence, posture started to change like, wait, 
a black a black girl that can speak like what what yeah. is this I've had to deal with that for the past several, and I don't want to get emotional, but I've had to deal with that for the past several years of even sharing my story. So before I can, and that's what I mean, like uh, survivors of trafficking, victims of trafficking, they have so much, so many barriers that they have to face, especially when you're a colored girl, yeah. especially when you're a black or brown girl. Because not only do I, am I traumatized because I have, you know, not only do I have to deal with this trauma of being trafficked, I have to potentially deal with the trauma of of just being black, <laughs> you know, yeah. like yeah. of being, of being, um, um, of, of experiencing that racial tension and experiencing discrimination and prejudice because of the color of my skin. Yeah. So I got to get, when I started sharing my story, I had to get through that first. I knew already that there was going to be something and I was right. Right. Um, but thank God, you know, like I, I know, I know how to, I know how to speak. I don't think that I'm articulate. I just think I know how to speak just like you know how to speak. Like yeah. I know English, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. Um, I may not language. have like the slang that my, yeah. you know, some of my brothers and sisters have, but you put me in a room with my brothers and sisters and that slang comes out in a minute. <laughs> like clap back, like for real, right? <laughs> or if you get me mad enough, yeah. it doesn't mean that because I speak like that in my family with my, with my friends and my family, that it doesn't mean that I don't have the solutions right or, or i can't contribute to some of the solutions to right. end trafficking right 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 and so um so that alone that that was just my personal experience but that yeah. is that is a lot of what you know other people experience i've been told you know you, you can't go your hair is too curly and can you make it straight so many things so many things that you would not tell Mm. Uh, white people. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. just so many things. I so many things that I have to adjust and I have to, you know, um, do to be accepted. And I'm guilty. I'm actually guilty of being silent. Mm. There's a lot of jobs I look back on. There's a lot of positions that I've had that I look back on and I was like, well, why did I conform to that? Mm. Because of fear is what you said. It's fair on both sides. Mm. It's fair from um, black people that, you know, that if I say too much, I'm not, I'm going to get kicked out of this room. Yeah. Or if I, if I, you know, contribute to, if I say the wrong thing or if I talk or speak a certain way, I'm not going to get invited, yeah. but I really want to get invited because I really want to see change. I really want to see an end to trafficking, but how do I say it that it's so that it's accepted? So I got to go home and ponder on top of my traumatic experience of being trafficked. I have to go home and ponder, okay, how do I let them know? And then, and then it's insulting to, you know, when people that are, that experience trafficking, it's like, I have to package my story so that it's acceptable to you. Right. So when my sister who is black and brown, when she comes to the table or she shows up at the place and she's using terms and maybe even some curse words because that's yeah. how she emotes her anger right. and her trauma, you look at her like she's unworthy of being invited to the table when she is literally telling you how to stop trafficking. She's telling you from her experience. She knows the solution. She knows the intimately. solution. Yeah. Her language is just different. Yeah. Why aren't we inviting those people to the table? Because they don't sound like us. Yeah. They, they, because they'll scare, scare donors. I, I don't know. Like, what is it? Like, I don't understand. And so, um, so again, thank you for having these, this conversation <laughs> because it needs to be, yeah. uh, like I said, I'm guilty. Um, and I've, God's been really, on my heart and I feel very convicted about being too quiet as a yeah. black brown girl in the movement out of fear for losing my uh, position or my voice, losing my voice in the movement. Well, I just, I mean, again, thank you for your voice. I, I just, that sounds, I mean, I cannot know what that feels like. I will never know what that feels like, but it sounds so exhausting. Like that is just like one effort on top of the other effort on top of the other effort. It's like you already have to overcome the trauma, but then there's the trauma upon the trauma upon the trauma. And then there's the baseline trauma that you just 
experience because simply because of the color of your skin or certain words that you use culturally. Um, So let me just say, I mean, we're not done here, but let me just say, not only thank you for your voice, but thank you for your, um, your strength to overcome that because we need your voice. I need your voice. The movement needs your voice. Um, And to have overcome all of those barriers and those hurdles, um, that's heroic, Kathy. That, that's Thank heroic. You. And um, and I think we need to hear that more often, you know, so that we can stop freaking building those barriers, so that we can stop putting those walls in front of the voices that have the solutions, that have the experience, that have the, the expertise and the artistic flair, you know, to be able to make a significant difference. So I just... I, I, I appreciate that so much, uh, to hear that from you. Now I'm going to, I'm going to ask, I want to, the next question I want to ask, I think is it might be an even harder one, uh, for some to hear is, so tell me, is there implicit bias and racism in fundraising? I, I'm the development director for Elijah rising. Um, of course we all wear multiple hats here. I'm also doing all the content stuff too, with our team. And, um, but I do fundraising and I, I feel like I'm going to guess real quick, that you and I, when we walk, if we walked into the same room with certain number of donors, the two of us might leave with different amounts of money. Has that been your experience? Is, does that exist? It, it absolutely does. Um, and it's because I think, I think what the movements kind of, the movements kind of, kind of adopted this, uh, this perception that, um, that donors give to, the ads that we see hmm. on TV, the ads that we see on, on, on billboards of the young white girl from suburbia hmm. um, tied up with a rope. Right. Um, donors give to that. Donors aren't going to give to black and brown girls. Hmm. Donors aren't going to give to girls with big hair. So, um, so those barriers are, are, are already up. I've also encountered um, the inner city versus the suburbia mm. um, stereotype uh, where it's like, oh, well, those inner city kids, they're, they're fine. They don't need, they don't need much. Our money needs to be, our money needs to go to our children. Our money needs to go to children that look like us. Yeah. Well, what is us? Again, I go back to my example. Like if you put two young girls into a room with a trafficker or a, a, a buyer um, and they go through the same torture. Which one is? Are you are you telling me that there's one that is worth saving or worthy of being rescued than the other? Which one's made in the image of God? Which one's made in the image of God? Um, and so, donors have that. Uh, I think that the movement people that that do fund these organizations and do raise raise money um, for the movement, they have that embedded in their head, and it's it's racist. Like. <laughs> Yeah. It's, there's just a, not another word for it. Like it's yeah. racist. Um, even at galas, I've been invited to galas. Maybe <laughs> mm. it's like, can you come speak? But let me fill out the, you know, our donors first. And if wow. the donors don't, if the donors want a, the, the girl on the ad, the girl on the billboard, then they're going to get the girl on the billboard. Go find her. Um, and I, you know, I've been told, can you submit your story and we can, you know, do it like that. It, it's, it's, it's so thick and it's sickening and it's disgusting and it hurts my it hurts my feelings yeah. um, most of all because you're telling me that my story is not my story is good enough um, to write 
on paper as long as they can't see the color of my skin. Yeah. Um, and I represent the voices of trafficking, but but I can't represent the voice of a black girl that was trafficked. I can't I can't do that. That's too risky. So just say you were trafficked. Which is so interesting because like I mean there is a clear disparity in like the women that are being trafficked. So many of them I mean, at Elijah Rising, the majority of those whom we have served are black women. And so if we're scared of hearing a black female voice, what, how does that look to those whom we serve? Exactly. It's like, what are we raising money for? Exactly. And if you look at, like, in looking at the wage gap and looking at the wealth and right. stuff like that and um, looking at the demand, um, the demand is primarily middle-aged white men, yeah. right? Um, they have the money. Right. Their families have the money, their wives, their whatever. They have the money. They're the ones that's giving uh, funneling funds into these organizations, yeah. whether we like to acknowledge it or not. Yeah. So uh, so if I don't look like where they come from, then I'm not worthy of funding. Yeah. So if you have a house full of primarily black girls, it. I hate to say this, but it's so true. You run the risk of not getting the funds that you need to support those girls. Yeah. You got to have somebody that's blonde or with, with blue eyes or whatever the case may be. Obviously I'm just, you know, I'm just using that as an example, yeah, yeah. but I do have blue eyes. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Oh wait, I shouldn't say that. No, again. no, it's okay. <laughs> but, but like if, if the predominant, if you're serving a predominant, uh, yeah. predominantly, black yeah. population or brown population we got to fight 10 times harder just to get the funding i've yeah. talked to some of um our partners in the movement that are black and that do have movements and i met with one new lady and she was just in tears she was like i don't understand why no one wants to help me like they send me um survivors mm. because they need to they need they need a space so i'll send you survivors but when it comes when it comes back when it comes around to giving money to help me support these survivors in my house i don't get the same access I've heard of people that have petitioned and like, hey, applied and applied and applied to these to these grants. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, OK, we'll, we'll get around to you or maybe you need to build this first and maybe you need to be, build that while their counterparts their white counterparts. They put in one application and it's done. Yeah, it's unfair. Yeah. And it, it's not it's not a cool feeling, um, which is which is another reason why um, I think God just put in my heart, burdened me just to start something and not. And like I said, not to cause a divide, but no, because I yeah. see that there is a, a and like this is a gap um, and yeah. this is a disparity that people are ignoring. Yeah. And so um, I, I think that's why yeah. literally God burdened my heart to just if I can't keep whining about it. I can't keep being upset about it. I can't keep crying about it. Just go do it. Yeah. And hopefully by doing it, then I can partner with people and and, and help educate some of some of my partners on on what this should look like. Yeah. This being fighting human trafficking. We don't fight white human trafficking. Right. We fight human trafficking. Yeah. And so that's my prayer. So let me, let me ask you this too. Um, what about awareness? What about prevention and um, advocacy programs? Are these, I mean, most organizations are doing awareness. We're doing awareness. I mean, that's how a lot of groups, you know, a lot of people start in this fight is they, they have an encounter with the problem. Like, oh my gosh, sex trafficking is real. We got to do something about this. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing we do? We raise awareness. That's how I got started. Yeah. That's literally how we got started here. Yeah. Um, so that's not a wrong thing, but I wonder if the prevention models and even the raising awareness models, have you seen any 
implicit bias and racism in those as well when it comes to our movement. I think um, we're familiar with Bissonette, right? Sure. That's, that's, Absolutely. And when I, I'm going to use this word, you know, loosely, but it's easy because it's mm-hmm. Bissonette. It's easy, right? We know that there are women out there. We know that there are souls out there that need to be saved and uh, women that need to be yeah. rescued. What we where we don't go is to I'm not going to start naming neighborhoods because I just don't want to. But we don't yeah. go to the parts of town where we know that they're there and where, once again, black women look a little bit rough over there. Maybe mm-hmm. they don't want to. It's, it's harder to get through to them. Um, we don't go to those parts. Um, I think we're doing great in awareness and outreach in our in our efforts, but I think we need to go above and beyond to reach those communities, those vulnerable communities yeah. who are most at risk, who, if we drive by their streets and we see a girl, it's just in our head that, oh, okay, she wants to be out there. But if we go by Bissonette and we go by popular areas, it's like, oh, no, she doesn't want to be out there. They're all being forced. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so um, I think out of fear, we kind of just block out that, you know, there's, there's, there are communities and there are vulnerable communities and people that are hurting outside of what we know, outside of the norm. Um, There are people hurting everywhere, right? There are people that need help everywhere, but I think we need to go above and beyond to reach the communities where we know without a shadow of a doubt that these women and these girls are being trafficked, even as rough as it is. We, a lot of these, a lot of this movement um, is founded in, in body of Christ. Right. And so I, I can't fathom being scared to go into a neighborhood knowing that I'm armored with, with the weapons of warfare. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I, if I go on Bissonette, then it's just as dangerous for me to go into whatever. So we need to come up with solutions to reach that community, too. We can't just exclude them. Yeah. Um, and that's where a lot of our black and brown girls are. And this is Houston. I mean, there are far more uh, black and brown communities than there are predominantly white communities. Yeah. I mean, yeah. White people are a minority in Houston, right? So yeah. where that, I mean, what you're talking about is there is a greater representation of that than those easy places to find. Mm-hmm. Well, Kathy, um, I just want to thank you again and again and again for, for your voice and for you taking the time to teach us and to teach me and have a conversation with me personally. This is a little bit selfish. I mean, we're doing this for Elijah Rising and hopefully for the movement as a whole and mm-hmm. for all sorts of people that are listening. But, um, but just personally, like person to person, I just want to thank you for for this conversation. Um, so I just, I wonder if there's anything else that we left out. Is there anything else that you think is important that we need to hear any, any other notes that you would want to make that we didn't, that we didn't touch on yet? Well, for me, it's important that when people listen to this and people watch this, um, that they don't feel, I I love my white brothers and sisters. Let me get, let me make that very clear. Um, I love the work that there are people that are not of color that have poured their blood, sweat and tears into this movement. Mm. So I want it to be very clear that I honor you and we acknowledge you and we know that you're trying and we know that you're working. What I what I do want to point out is that this is just a, a conversation to incite further education and conversations and solutions on how we yeah. can bridge the gap and we can um, dismantle, you know, um, racism. Yeah. And especially in this movement, we're, we're, this movement is too critical and too precious for us to have any infiltration of racism and other injustices. We got to deal yeah. with just this first, yeah. right? Yeah. And so let's get to the root cause. Let's not be afraid yeah. to have these conversations. It is what it is. Slavery is not new. Slavery's mm-hmm. been around. Let's talk about slavery. Let's talk about how um, women back then were sold for their bodies and right. raped and assaulted and tortured. Let's, we just have to talk about it. Yeah. 
start there. Okay, how are we um, how are we addressing slavery, especially for African Americans, especially for Black and Brown population? Yeah. How are we how are we addressing it in this movement now? Yeah, we just got to come to the table and start talking about it. So I don't want to feel I don't want to walk away with anyone feeling attacked or this is a conversation to create any kind of racial tension or divide in the sure. movement. This is a conversation to bridge us together. And I hope to have, I hope that this is a domino effect. I hope that more organizations will do it. I mm -hmm. hope that everyone will talk about it um, because you know, no one kn knew what to do with trafficking in the movement. We, yeah. Yeah, we, we all right. just came to the table and prayed and we were just like, what do we do? Well, what like, do we do about this? This is a big problem. Yeah. Well, racism is a huge yeah. problem. Yeah. It's the same thing. And I believe that, you know, especially for those organizations rooted in the body of Christ, I believe that this is, we need to be on the front lines of this thing and we need to stop separating the two. Racism and trafficking and human trafficking, they, they go together. You yeah. can't fight one without the other, yeah. period. And so... Um, I just want people to hear hear my heart with that. I love, I love, I love everyone sincerely. I'm just, um, it, it hurt. It, I'm hurt, yeah. and I'm ready for change. Yeah, yeah. It's too, the movement is too critical to not get this right, yeah. and it's too linked to our Christian faith. There are too many Christian leaders, too many churches that are part of this movement who are on the front line to not get this right and to have these hard conversations. I just am in total agreement with you on that. Um, and I thank you for being bold enough to, to state that because it's so true, not just for you and I that are in these leadership roles, but for the women that are being exploited right now. It's for them. It's for them to have um, safe exits and long-term recovery and, and mm -hmm. homes to go to. Um, do you have any resources? Do you, do you, would you recommend anything for those who are listening, for me, even for our organizations? Um, would you recommend anything to read, anything to watch, anything to listen to, any resources for us? So as far as racial um, reconciliation, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, Be the Bridge. I think it's by John Gray. Um, he has some awesome resources from there, you know, um, logging onto that website. He, they provide a plethora of resources that talk awesome. about race and um, cultural divide and and bridging that gap. Right. I think starting there and on um, using resources like that and bringing that into the movement. I think that's what we need. I think that's what's been missing. Uh, yeah, um, awesome. Obviously, your I, I just really hope that um, the anti-trafficking movement comes together. I think organizations need to come together. And people that are not familiar with trafficking that are listening, um, I would encourage them to get to know their anti-trafficking community, mm -hmm. you know, more about Elijah Rising. Y'all are doing awesome work. Thank you. Um, and more about the other organizations in the, mu in the movement. Yeah. But also bring the um the racial reconciliation piece um, yeah. i think people need to be educated more yeah. on it's it's critically important to the work um okay my last question you ready my last question how can we support you how can we support your work your voice your vision your mission what can we do well, I've been working on some really, really cool, like I said, God's just been speaking. He's been really good, but he's um, put on my heart to do some really, really cool things yeah. lately. Um, I work with, I partner with Street Grace right now as a community advocate. Um, so I would encourage everyone to, if you want to learn more about demand, yeah. I would encourage everyone to go there. Um, but I'm also launching off, um, my new organization. Wait, are you about to make an announcement yeah. on our podcast? <laughs> I am. Hey, shout out. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Um, no, but I am launching my new organization called 1211. It's, it's brand, brand yes. new. It's a baby in the making. Um, and it was birthed out of 
one being in quarantine <laughs> <laughs> praise god <laughs> and um but and two just the burden on my heart to see that uh, to just fill in some of the gaps of the anti-trafficking movement so yeah. specifically 1211 will focus on post um restorative care oh, services wow. for okay. women that have gone through program and still can't get it together or still have trouble or need the extra support yeah. um lasting support and so that's what that's what my focus is going to be on. That's what me and my husband's focus is going to be on. Um, and But like I said, it's a brand new baby. Awesome. And so I will have more on that. And you can follow my website and I'll keep you informed. Yeah. So we'll put uh, the links to all these things in the show notes. Um, I also just want to say that um, if you followed our work at Elijah Rising, we had a gala last year and um, we did uh, something called the Survivor Monologues. And a couple of those monologues were written by Kathy. And we are so thankful for her participation in that um, and, and uh, providing another way for your voice and your experience um, and your expertise to be heard. So, um, And we are working on some projects together, uh, Elijah Rising and Kathy, we're working on some projects together for the future. And so we just, again, thank you so much um, uh, for your voice, for, for having this conversation, for, for being bold and for saying hard things. And um, I just, I just so deeply appreciate you. Um, if you want to find out more about the work of Elijah rising, you can go to our website, ElijahRising.org. Uh, we also have a store that supports, um, the women that are in our restorative care program. And you can find, uh, all those products at shop.elijahrising.org. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram. You can find a video, uh, uh, version of this podcast on YouTube, like subscribe, go to Kathy's website. Um, don't you have a book too? Yeah, I have a book. Go We're buy her book. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's like yeah. you like turned your journals into a book. Yeah, it was a it's a journal. Literally it, yeah. it became my book and yeah. Go buy Kathy's book. Um, <laughs> anyways, thank you so much. If And we want to continue the conversation. So if you've got questions, let us know. Uh, if you have comments, let us know. Um, and we will see you on the next episode of the Elijah Rising podcast.